Amen. You may be seated. And our scripture this morning is in the book of Acts, chapter 7, Acts 7. If you need a Bible, just lift up your hand and uh, I'll make sure that uh, one of our men provides you with one. Anybody need a Bible? Acts chapter 7. And we're going to start at verse 54, read on down to um, chapter 8, verse 1. Stephen has just uh, given his defense before the Sanhedrin. He has testified to the Lord Jesus. He has accused these religious leaders of basically rejecting God, rejecting Israel's Messiah. And that's where we pick it up in verse 54. Word of God says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of his execution. Let's pray. Father God, this is your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand your word to help us to know what the Spirit wants to say to Harbin's church this morning. And God, I pray for Steve as he preaches the word, that you would fill him with your Spirit, that you would guide his mind and his thinking and his words so that he may say what you want him to say. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In 167 A.D., in the early eras of the church, a guy by the name of Polycarp uh, was led to his death. He was martyred, and he said this before he died as he prayed to the Lord. He said, I thank thee that thou hast graciously vouchsafed this day and this hour to allot me a portion amongst the number of the martyrs. Polycarp died well. As with many of the early martyrs, he counted it a privilege to die a martyr's death. In the church those days, people actually accepted a martyr's death as a special gift from God. During the Reformation, there were many who died for the faith. One man was a guy by the name of John Hooper. He said this as he was being tied to the stake, where he would be burned at the stake, where it would take six hours because the wood was wet for him to die. He said this, Death is bitter and life is sweet, but alas, consider that the death to come is more bitter and life to come more sweet. John Hooper died well. But not all believers throughout history have had to die a violent and difficult death as such. William Wilberforce died well. Remember William Wilberforce? He fought against slavery in England. 
I enjoyed reading biographies about William Wilberforce, and as I read some of these, just listening to his life and how his, his beliefs infected everything he did. And every stance he took in government was based upon the Scriptures and what he believed from the Scriptures, not upon political pressure from any party. William Wilberforce died the day after slavery was finally abolished in England for good. The day after slavery was abolished, William Wilberforce died after fighting for that exact thing for 34 years in the, in the parliament in England. And when it was done, he died. He finished his mission on earth. He died well, even at an old age. A friend of mine named Joe Donofrio was a pastor at First Baptist um, Snellville. And uh, went to Joe's funeral just a few weeks ago. And the thing about Joe, when you'd go visit him, he had been in a wheelchair uh, for a long time, and he was suffering from a brain, um, a tumor, and he had had different surgeries to try to operate on that brain tumor, but it made him more and more debilitated as he went along. And you'd go meet with Joe, and you'd go there, as one of the pastors said at his funeral, to try to encourage him, and you'd leave there going, wait a second, I didn't encourage him, he encouraged me. And at Joe's funeral, there were literally over a thousand people there at his funeral. He was saved in 1994, I believe. I can't remember exactly the date. But they said that in his life, he led well over two or three thousand people to the Lord. Joe Donofrio died well when he died of his complications from his brain tumor. Recently, some of you in here know Penny Leonard. Penny Leonard just passed away a couple of weeks ago. And when people talk about Penny and they talk about Bill, when you go visit Penny, same thing. She was dying of cancer, but you leave there being more encouraged than when you went. And they shine Jesus, talking about their passion for missions. And they wanted to make sure people knew the Lord. And that's what they cared about the most. And Penny died of cancer recently, and Penny died well. You know, there's lots of things we want to do well in this life. Okay, we want to do our job well. We want to um, be a good spouse and carry out our spousal um, uh, job well. We want to parent well. There's lots of things we want to do well. We want to live well. But this is a story about how to die well. This is a story of a, of a man who lived and died well. So I've entitled today's passage as we look at the martyrdom of Stephen as dying well from this Acts chapter 7 verses 54 through the first verse of chapter 8. This is the continuation of the narrative account that we began to study last week. Remember we had this huge section of scripture we looked at last week. This is the continuation of that story. And in this section of scripture we have a wonderful description of the very first Christian martyr, a guy by the name of Stephen. Now you may think the word wonderful is a strange way to, uh, ex to describe his violent death. You may be thinking that a Better term would be horrible, terrible, but not really. This is a wonderful and a beautiful story because for the Christian, death is a doorway. A doorway to being with our master forever in eternal joy and eternal bliss. For the believer, death is beautiful. For a believer, he or she should desire to die in such a way as to demonstrate the truth that we are to be with Christ forever. The truth that death is beautiful for a Christian. To die in such a way that our exit from this world into eternity 
proclaims the hope that we have in Christ. We should desire to live and to die well. But it doesn't always mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it won't be fearful as well. Uh, I like this illustration from uh, John Piper regarding what death is like for the Christian. He says, death is as though you're in a small cabin in the woods. And that cabin represents your life. The door out of the cabin is like death. And as you're moving toward the door, inch by inch, it opens. And there's a huge ravenous wolf with bared fangs and furious eyes. At first, you're terrified. But then the Holy Spirit opens your eyes. And behind the wolf, you see Jesus shining like the sun. He's standing with his arms extended to you and his face smiling. And hanging tight in his other hand, there is a brass chain that leads to an iron collar on the wolf's neck. You hesitate for a moment. But then the Spirit gives you strength. And as you put your foot on the threshold and the mouth of the wolf opens, Jesus flings him with a mighty jerk out of sight. And you enter into the presence of the Lord of glory. 1 Corinthians 15.55 says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is a terrifying enemy, but it is a defeated enemy. And God is good and gives grace to enable us to die well. For Stephen and for us, when death rolls around, we're not victims. We are victors. So let's walk through this passage a bit this morning. I want us to learn some lessons from Stephen on how to live and how to die well. First, let's recap what's happening here. Uh, As Deemer mentioned, Stephen is on trial. He's being tried because he's been accused of rejecting Moses and rejecting the temple. And so, in his defense, he goes and tells, gives a kind of a summary of the Old Testament story leading all the way up to the establishment of the temple. And in doing so, he shows them that they are actually the ones who've always rejected God's leading and God's deliverers. And they're doing it again. They're rejecting their Messiah. They're rejecting the one who Moses said would be like him, who would be greater than him, who would come. They're rejecting him and they're rejecting the whole purpose of the temple. They're rejecting everything it points toward. And so Stephen here um, says to them, you know, when he gets down to the end of his his speech, he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers uh, not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you now have betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So he turns the whole accusation back on them And then we read in verse 54, as Demer read a second ago, now then they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. So this is what's going on. They've gotten angry now. They're enraged, and they grind their teeth at him. Enraged here, it could be translated, it might be in your translation, means cut to the heart. It means everything that Stephen has said has been like a blade. It's just cut to their heart. He's been saying the word of God. The word of God is a blade. It does cut to the heart when we're sinners. And we're all sinners. And so it should, as Hebrews 4.12 says, it cuts to our heart. It penetrates deep. And that's what's happened here. They've been cut to the heart. But when you get cut to the heart by God's word, there's either one one of two reactions. Either you're cut to the heart and you repent because of your sin, or you're cut to the heart and it just gets you mad and angry and you kick back at God. And that's what happens with these guys. 
They're enraged is what the Bible says here. They're mad. They're angry that Stephen has said these things about them. This says they ground their teeth at him. You know, this is kind of an interesting phrase, grind their teeth. Have you ever done that when you're mad? Just, ah, you know. My kids know if they hear my teeth squeaking, they're in trouble, all right? Just, ah, all right? And you grind your teeth and you're mad. Okay, and that's what's happening here. They're, they're angry and they're just grinding their teeth at Stephen because of how mad they are. It's interesting here, this phrase, grind their teeth. Jesus says something similar often. He would talk about hell as being a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I think what we can learn from that and learn from this here is that people in hell, a lot of people think that those who have, have, have died and gone to hell are and somehow sorry and sad about what they're going through when in reality they're still angry towards God. They will for eternity be gnashing their teeth at God, be grinding their teeth. Just as these people, these hard hearts, would not receive the message that Stephen had given them, basically the gospel message that he had just preached to them, and they were angry and they hated God. Revelation 16 speaks of God's judgment on the earth and how man still refuses to repent, even as God's judging and pouring out horrible judgment upon the earth, they still refuse to repent. And that's the image here, this grinding of the teeth. And then it goes on and says, But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man. Now when he says this, by the way, this is the only time Jesus is called the Son of Man by someone other than himself in the Bible. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man a lot. But this is the only place that someone else calls Jesus the Son of Man. And it's Stephen here. And when he says that, these uh, Jewish leaders knew exactly what he was referring to. He's referring to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, which speaks of the Son of Man being the Messiah who would come to judge the earth. And so he's declaring Jesus' Messiahship once again. He's also declaring his deity by using this phrase, Son of Man. It says he sees him standing at the right hand of God, thus again proclaiming Jesus' deity. And this just sets them off. So the Bible says that they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. So they stopped their ears. I think this is, it's, it's almost kind of comical here to see what they're doing. As a child... Or children that are in here, have you, have you ever done that when you're trying to win an argument? You just don't want to listen to the person. You go, la, 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 and you just stop your ears and just start yelling. All right? So they, and you just, you do that. All right? You, the kids are looking at me like so innocent, like they've never done that. I know you guys. I know you plug your ears and you go, la, 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 just so you don't have to hear what someone else is saying. And that's what's happening here. They're plugging their ears and it's just like toddlers. They're like children who don't want to hear, don't want to repent, don't want to bend, don't want to, to, to bow to this God who's giving this, this opportunity to turn to him. So they, they cried out with a loud voice, they stopped their ears, and it says they rushed together at him. This Greek wor verb for rushing at him, it carries with it the image of something violent. They're just rushing upon him. Matter of fact, it's used in, in um, Mark chapter 5 and in Matthew chapter 8 when the story of De Jesus, when he casts out the demon and cast from this man and cast the demon into the pigs, and it says the pigs made a mad rush, and they rushed off the cliff into the sea. That's the, the, the verb here, this rushing. So they're, they're rushing at him like a bunch of mad pigs, if you will, and they, they, they storm him, and they cast him out of the city. Now, Levitical law required that stonings happen outside of the camp or outside of the city. Which I think it's so, it just blows my mind. They're so obsessed with maintaining their religious symbols and structures 
And they, they're not even going to stone this guy in the city. They want to take him out so they do it properly. And they're missing, they're just missing the whole picture here. They're missing what all this stuff, all the, all the laws about cleanliness, all the laws about the temple, all these things pointed to Jesus and they just miss it. So they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. Now this probably was not the legal method of stoning because the text here kind of, kind of gives the idea this is more of a mob justice where they just kind of mob him and stone him. Uh, legally what they were supposed to do was to throw him off of a cliff and drop big boulders on him. One should have killed him. But that's probably not what happened here because as he's being stoned, he speaks. And so this is a violent, horrible death. But at the same time, as I said earlier, it's beautiful. It's beautiful because, again, Stephen is not a victim. He's a victor. And he goes out gloriously shining for Christ. He dies well. So how can studying Stephen's beautiful death equip us to live and to die well? I want us to glean a few things from the passage this morning. So... In your notes there, uh, it should say, he can live and we can live and die well, first of all, when we understand that we are never alone. When we understand that we are never alone. Okay, first of all, we have the Holy Spirit. Verse 55, it says, but he full of the Holy Spirit. For the believer, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit is always present with us. He never leaves us, especially during times of affliction. And, and here when it says Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, that, that verb full of means he, he was continuing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has been with him and the Spirit continues to be with him as the situation gets more ugly and ugly. Mark 13, 11 says, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promised in Hebrews 13, 5 that he will never leave us nor forsake us. The very presence of Christ with us through the Holy Spirit is what empowers our mission. Matthew 20, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, sorry, 19 to 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, what? How does it end? I am with you always to the end of the age. I love the many descriptive pictures the Bible gives us of Jesus being with us and never letting us go. I need a volunteer this morning, someone who's really strong, just super, super strong, okay? Um, let's see here. Someone I haven't called on in a while. None of these kids are... No, I'm not going to call on Presley because that will really blow the whole... Francis is back here trying to blow my whole illustration here. All right, right here. Yes, there we go. Come on up here. Now, remind me your name again. Clayton. Clayton. All right, come on up here, buddy. All right, you look really, really strong. So I want you to stand right here. All right. All right, Clayton. <clears throat> Let me see your muscles. Oh, yeah, that'll do. Okay. Wow, that's actually... All right, good. Okay. All right, I want you to hold on to that pin. I want you to hang it on to it really tight, okay? All right, you hang it on that pin really tight. Okay, I want you to keep me from taking it from me, all right? Wow, you're actually a lot better than I thought. Uh, 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 I got it. All right. Whew. All right. Got ink all over me. Look at that. All right. Yeah. Okay. Clayton, I got it from you, didn't I? But you are very strong. So now let's just turn this around. You ready? All right. I hope this works. All right. I want you, 
I want you to take it from me. You ready? All right, go. Come on. Right. You mark and set, go, whenever you're ready. Oh, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. That wasn't very nice, was it? All right, you can use both hands if you want to. All right, got it. Do you think you're going to get that out of my hand? How determined is this young man? You think you're going to get it out of my hand? He's pro- Would someone go get me a cup of coffee, please? You think you're going to get it out of my hand? Man, are you grinding your teeth? All right, are you going to get that out of my hand? It hadn't budged, buddy. You think you're going to get that out of my hand? All right. Hey, all right. I got news for you, Clayton. You're not going to get that out of my hand. All right? Okay. But, but you're very strong, as I witnessed a minute ago. I had a very, but it really wasn't a fair fight, was it? It wasn't fair at all. It wasn't a fair contest. Why are you not able to pull that out of my hand? What might be different between me and you that makes it impossible for you to pull this out of my hand? I'm a little bit bigger bigger and a little bit stronger. Yeah, I'm stronger than you, right? So, all right, I want you to have a seat right there. Thank you very much. And my hand is very sore. One of my favorite images that I like to share with kids when I'm witnessing to them, sharing the gospel with them, as a children's pastor, I had opportunity to do that a lot. Uh, I actually like for parents to do that before I do. Uh, but one of the images I like to give kids is, is simply reading John 10, 28. Jesus is talking about those who receive him as Lord and Savior. And he says, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, given them to me is greater than all. Your translation might say, some translations do say, stronger than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the image that allows us to die well. That no one can snatch us from his hand. No cancer. No ravenous wolf that the devil is trying to cause us to stumble in our life. Nothing can snatch us. If we're truly a believer and we belong to Christ, we have been made his child, the child of God. No one can snatch us from his hand. Why? Because he's stronger than anything. He's greater than all. Stronger than all. And that ravenous wolf called death may seem terrible. It may seem strong. It may seem scary. But as the illustration we read earlier, he's on a chain. And God's holding the other end of that chain. And no one can snatch us out of our Father's hand the christian need not worry for he can never be abandoned death has no power over us i love these verses some of my favorite in all of scripture for i am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus our lord it's the spirit's presence with stephen here in this passage that enables him to see christ to see Christ watching over these proceedings. Look, it says he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of the Holy Spirit, and he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, which leads me to my second point. We can live and die well when we see the glory to come. 
We can live and die well when we see the glory to come. Jesus, the Bible here says that Stephen gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, okay, he sees this and then he can't keep quiet. He says, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen is given a special gift, a special gift of grace at this moment where he's about to die to see the risen Christ. He's the first person after the ascension to see the risen Christ. It's Stephen. And so he looks up and he sees the risen Christ. And it says here that Jesus is standing. Now, what does this mean? Because almost every reference of Scripture which talks about Jesus at the right hand of the Father refers to Jesus sitting. But this one refers to Jesus standing. Well, why? Uh, you've probably heard, if you've, if you've heard people preach this passage before, a lot of different explanations. I found a lot of different explanations. Uh, one of the explanations is that, well, Jesus is standing in honor of Stephen. I, I don't necessarily subscribe to that one, that he's standing in honor of Stephen. I do think he's standing here for a reason. But let's, let's give some thought to this for a second. First of all, when the Bible refers to Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, simply being at the right hand, whether he's standing or sitting, represents his power and authority and that he reigns. The fact that he's at the right hand of the Father means he reigns. The title of our passage, our series, is He Reigns. And he reigns over Stephen's death. He reigns over every bit of this life and this world. And he reigns. So at the right hand of the Father means that he reigns. But usually it refers to him sitting. And sitting is a judgment position. It symbolizes Jesus' redemptive work is done. It is finished. It's a judgment position, and the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, what? He sat down at the right hand of God. So he sits down to say, it is done. It is finished. But here Jesus is standing. Why? Well, I'm not sure it's in honor of Stephen. Uh, is it to show his concern? That's what some people thought is Jesus is standing to show that he's concerned about the situation. That, to me, takes a little bit away from his, he reigns, all right? He's not going, oh my goodness, what's happening down there? Okay, but that's what some people think. But is he standing to welcome Stephen? I think that may have some merit. A lot of people think he's standing to say, I'm welcoming you. He's standing up to welcome Stephen into heaven. But I really like what Augustine said. Augustine believed that Jesus is standing because an advocate would always stand when he stood to defend someone. So like a, 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 a lawyer in a courtroom would stand to defend of his client. And Jesus here is standing as an advocate. Jesus is standing here showing that he's the one interceding, advocating for Stephen. Stephen's on trial, and these people are rushing against him. They're about to stone him, and Jesus stands up and says, you know what? I'm standing with Stephen. I represent him. I'm advocating on his behalf. So we have two pictures really in Scripture that Jesus' redemptive sacrificial work is done that we read of in Hebrews 10, 12. So he sits, but he's also an advocate, an intercessor, and that intercessory work continues even into today. Perhaps um, this image here is a little bit of all three of these, but I really like this picture here of, of, of Jesus standing as an advocate for Stephen because Hebrews 7, 25 says he always lives to make intercession for us. He's interceding on Stephen's behalf. He's there uh, for Stephen. It is in sort of a way in honor of Stephen, but it's there. He's there interceding for and standing there for Stephen to represent him. We need to see the glory to come. 
Now, perhaps we aren't going to be given a special grace to see the heavens open like Stephen did. I doubt it. I don't think Penny Leonard, when she passed away, saw the heavens open and saw the glory of Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. None of the martyrs that I read of in Fox's Book of Martyrs that I can remember saw the heavens open up and Jesus standing. So we probably will not receive that same grace. But just as we read, just as we sang a song a few minutes ago saying, open the eyes of my heart, the Bible makes it very clear that we need to keep our focus on heaven. We should always be looking to the glory to come with our eyes of faith, the eyes of our heart. Keeping our eyes on heaven will help us live and die well. Keeping our eyes on heaven will help us live and die well. Colossians 3, starting in verse 1, says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with Him in glory. Keep your eyes, keep your mind, keep the eyes of your heart, keep the eyes of faith focused on Christ and on the glory to come. That will help us live well, and it will help us die well, too. We see it here with Stephen. We can see it as clearly as Stephen if we'll look at it with faith. Look forward to the new city, the heavenly city. See now by faith your inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. As the, the hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So live well and die well by knowing that Christ is with us, by keeping our eyes focused on the glory to come. And finally, we will live well and we will die well when we reflect Jesus. If we've reflected Jesus with our life, then we've lived well. If we've reflected Jesus in our death, then we've died well. How does, Jesus, how does Stephen reflect Jesus here? Well, there's some pretty striking parallels here in this, uh, in this passage of Scripture. First, as we've already seen, there were some similarities in the trial. Remember the charge that was brought against Stephen? About that Jesus is going to tear down the temple? And, and, and so they're bringing this charge that Stephen's coming against the temple and against the Mosaic law. Well, those same charges were brought against Jesus. We see some other similarities here. Um, when when um, Stephen here says that he sees the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Well, in Jesus, in his trial, when they asked him if he is the Son of God, he said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. There's some similarities there between what Jesus said in his trial and what Stephen is saying in his trial. But the most striking similarities are in his death. In verse 59 here, when he's dying from being stoned, Stephen says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Remember, Luke wrote Acts. Well, Luke also wrote in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, that when Jesus was dying, he said, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. Stephen, though, he asked Jesus to receive his spirit. Jesus is asking the Father to receive His Spirit. Okay? By asking Jesus here to receive His Spirit, Stephen once again is declaring the deity of Christ. And Stephen is at the mercy of Jesus. And Jesus by his, but Jesus, by His own power, laid down His own life. So we see some similarities here in them asking for their spirit to be received. Verse 60, Stephen says, Lord, do not hold these sins against them. Don't hold this sin against them. We compare that to Luke 23, verse 34, where Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Again, Stephen appeals to Jesus, and Jesus appeals to the Father. 
And we see this tremendous Christ-likeness in Stephen. That he's willing to forgive those who are doing this terrible crime against him. Stephen lived and died like Jesus. He shined Jesus in the way he lived. He shined Jesus in the way he died. If we reflect Jesus when we die, we die well. Okay, you may not achieve a lot of the things you want to achieve in this life. You may not have gone to all the places you wanted to go in this life. You may not have accomplished all the accolades that you wanted to accomplish in this life. But if you die shining Jesus as Penny Leonard died, as Joe Donofrio died, as John Hooper died, as Polycarp died, as Ignatius died, as thousands of believers before us have gone away and died, if we shine Jesus then we, when we die, then we've lived a good life and we've died well. And Jesus receives us into heaven saying, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Notice here that it says, he went to sleep. The early church used the word sleep when referring to death, and rightly so, for these bodies will rise again. But in the meantime, we're with our Lord. He says, receive my spirit. The Bible, I believe, teaches very clearly that to be absent from the body, as Paul would say, is to be present with Christ. There is no in, sort of in-between time, some soul sleep, some purgatory. To be, for a believer to die is to be instantly with Jesus in heaven. That's what Jesus said to the um, thief on the cross. There was a thief dying on a cross who died well. He died very well when he asked Jesus to receive him in paradise, to remember him. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. I began reading 1 Corinthians 15, 55 earlier. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are never victims. If you're a believer, you're never a victim when you die. You're always a victor. In verse 58, though, says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The question I have for us this morning, are you living well? Are you ready to die well? Are you living well and are you ready to die well? Are you ready to die like Stephen died? No matter what God who reigns might choose for you? Are you ready to die shining Jesus? Are you living well and are, are you ready to die well? There's no telling who you'll impact. When I go back and think about Joe Donofrio's funeral that I got the opportunity to go to, I didn't get to go to Penny's, but Jan and Dee were at Penny's funeral. Just the hundreds of people that were there and these people had no idea they do now <laughs> they had no idea when they were living how many lives they had impacted and this story here today ends with a very interesting verse kind of a cliffhanger verse 8 and verse 1 of chapter 8 it says and Saul approved of his execution there's a man standing there approving of an execution by the name of Saul who from this point forward in the book of Acts becomes the most influential figure in the church from this point forward. And you know, we can make a lot of speculation. I have no idea, but I can only imagine, and Paul even mentions the death of Stephen later in Acts chapter 22, verse 20. But I can only imagine that Paul, who was one of those gnashing his teeth, that Paul, as he watches this man die, reflecting Christ, that that had some sort of impact on him. Some sort of impact on him. And I can only speculate that maybe on a long journey on a dusty road to Damascus, he was thinking through that scene in his mind. 
when Jesus appeared to him. And Saul would become Paul. And so from this point forward in the book of Acts, we still have a little bit to talk about with Peter, but pretty much Paul becomes the main focus as the gospel spreads out from, Ju from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this will be filled with lots of believers, many of whom, as we read through this passage, die well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask now that you be with us as we conclude our service. God, I praise you and thank you, Lord, that, um, uh, that as we sang these songs this morning, we just sang about your glory, about how awesome you are. And God, as we talk about living well and dying well, it has nothing to do with us getting any glory. Father, I, I know that Penny Leonard or Joe Donofrio did not want glory for themselves. They did not want lots of accolades and people just talking about, talking about how great they were. They wanted their funerals to point to you, and they did. And so, God, as we think about living well and dying well, God, I pray that our focus would simply be to reflect Jesus, to shine Jesus, whether it be in the mundane things we do in life, talking to our kids, balancing our checkbook, how we spend our recreation time, that the things we do would be glorifying to you. And God, if we'll live a life that's glorifying to you, God, I believe that you'll strengthen us by your grace in many different ways through the presence of your Holy Spirit, that you'll get our eyes focused on things above and not on the things of this earth, and that as a result, we'll be ready to shine Jesus. When our time does come, when our time comes and you want us to step through that door and die well. So God, we praise you and we thank you now for this beautiful story of the martyrdom of Stephen. And as we sing these songs to you, we pray that you'd be glorified and honored. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Stand if you